you have a Bible with you tonight, let me invite you to take it and turn with me, if you would please, uh, to uh, our scripture passage for this evening. Uh, we're going to be looking at, and that's going to be found for us in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, as we look into the Word of God for our message time for tonight. Hebrews and chapter 9 for our scripture passage for this evening. I want to preach to you tonight about two divine appointments. That comes from us in this very passage of Scripture for this evening. So Hebrews chapter 9, and when you find your way there, if you would stand with me, please, in honor to the Word of God as uh, we read our Scripture passage for tonight. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to begin reading here at uh, uh, a little earlier on, verse 24 of that passage of Scripture this evening. The Bible says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, uh, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, there to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he often should offer himself often, as the high priest offereth himself, uh, entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Let's remain standing for a word of prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, uh, for bringing us together tonight. Thank you for the good week we've had at camp. We thank you, Lord, now for the opportunity we have to look one more time into your word together. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts. We pray that if there should be anyone here tonight who does not know if they were to pass from this world tonight, they'd be in heaven. We pray they might not leave here tonight without settling that matter of eternal life. And then we pray, Lord, that you would bless each one of us who already knows Christ as their personal Savior as well, that you might be glorified in the message tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this evening. And before we actually get into the message time itself, we do have three chalk drawings that have been done that we're going to be giving away to those that have brought the most visitors. And uh, we mentioned that uh, a visitor is somebody who's not a regular attender of Ann Arbor Baptist Church, but who came because you invited them to come. And uh, I wonder how many of you invited somebody to come today, whether they came or not. How many of you invited somebody? Okay, praise the Lord. A number of folks who did that. How many of you invited somebody and they actually came? Okay, good. There's some hands being raised that way too. Let me ask, is there anybody here who had as many as five visitors with you here today? Five visitors? Anybody have five visitors today? Put a hand up if you have there. Okay, I'm going to count down from there, all right? Did anyone have four visitors with them today? Okay, still no hands. How about three visitors? Did you have three with you for today, this morning or tonight or both? All right, that counts both services that way. Okay, how about two Two visitors. All right, now we're getting hands raised, okay? So we have one, two hands that are raised there already. Who else? One, two, anybody else with two visitors that you had to come here for today? Okay, so that means right now we have a tie for the first place drawing. And I always handle that in the old-fashioned, time-honored fashion. I'm going to pick a number between one and ten. And I'll let each of you pick a number between 1 and 10 as well. And whoever either picks the same number I've picked or is closest to that number will have the opportunity to be the first cho chooser for the chalk drawing. Okay, so I have a number in mind right now. How about a number from you first? Yes, ma'am. Three. three. Okay, three and then 10. The number was nine. The number was nine. So you're the closest to that. You know which of the three drawings you'd like to have. All right, the one we just did tonight, the Peace in My Storm drawing from this evening, okay? Second choice would be yours, ma'am. You have this choice of which of the two that are hanging on the wall there you'd like to have. The, the, uh, the, the ship in the, uh, in the, in the uh, beautiful Lagoon Haven of Rest, that's the drawing uh, that's there. Okay, so that takes care of the two people that had two visitors. Anybody have one visitor with them today? Okay, uh, let's see, there goes a hand up over there. Anybody else with one? 
Okay, that means, buddy, that, that last drawing with the crosses will be yours to take home with you tonight, all right? So as soon as the service is over, I'll spray this one. The other two have already been sprayed. We'll take them down. We'll put some newspaper on them, roll them up, and rubber band them so you can take them home along with you uh, undamaged that way. So I appreciate each one of you invited and ask people to be able to come to be here for us uh, for the services here. I also want to say that I appreciate uh, everything that's been done for us while we've been here. Appreciate Pastor uh, asking us to come and be here with you for this week of, of church camp. It's been a blessing to us to be able to come that way. We appreciate that very much. We appreciate the love offering that's been taken up for us as well. Uh, we don't have an organization that pays us a salary to travel around and do the Lord's work. We trust the Lord to take care of our needs as He supplies through the churches that we serve from week to week. And uh, this is our 41st year full-time evangelistic ministry. We've never missed paying even one bill. My father preached the gospel for 67 years and he didn't either. So I don't expect the Lord ever to fail in that department. He takes care of those who are doing His will. Thank you for letting the Lord use you to do that this week for us. You may see our trailer around here. We're going to be here for uh, the rest of this coming week uh, and then we're leaving for a week of vacation with one of our daughters where our trailer will be sitting here so we appreciate folks keeping an eyeball on that while we're gone for a week and then we'll be back to head out uh, over to, uh, back into Illinois uh, where we'll re uh, regain our meeting schedule for the fall uh, in just a little bit so uh, we appreciate the opportunity to be here we appreciate your being here as well and your faithfulness how many of you were here every service here at the churches and also out at the camp you didn't miss a single service out of all the meetings how many of you were at all of them wow that's great that's a bunch of folks like that we appreciate your faithfulness to be here and some of you had to work you couldn't be able to go out there to camp and we missed you being there but we're well, maybe the next time you'll be able to join that right now uh, we're going to let all the boys and girls that are eight and under be dismissed along with mrs webb they're going to go downstairs again at this time and so or excuse me not downstairs i think i'm at camp still uh, going to go across the, the hallway to the multi-purpose room and uh, they'll be having their class time over there together uh, around the Word of God uh, with Mrs. Webb. Uh, don't forget the table out in the lobby as well. That'll be there just tonight. And uh, so if you want to purchase any of the audio or video versions of Bible stories from the Puppet Castle out there, some folks got them after service this morning. Uh, they'll be there tonight. We can take cash or check or uh, plastic. If you have a credit card, you want to pay for it that way, we can take care of you that way as well out there at the table. But uh, all those things are available. And as we said, the money that comes in from that stays in the fund that we use to reorder to produce more and help us purchase other equipment to help us do a better job for the Lord as well. Now looking to the Word of God for our scripture passage for tonight, we were talking about the fact that life is a series of appointments. Somebody said, your first appointment was when you were born into this world. I wonder, did they sing happy birthday to you on that day? I don't know why it is, they always seem to wait a whole year before they start singing happy birthday to people. And I think, honestly, if there's a day you ought to have happy birthday sung to you on, it ought to be your actual birthday, don't you? I said that in a church in South Carolina and, and, and the youth pastor's wife had just given birth to a baby boy in the hospital that day and as soon as the service ended, one of the larger families dashed out to their van, climbed in, ro ro rode down to the hospital immediately so they could all run into the nursery in the hospital and sing happy birthday to the baby on his birthday. But that's the first of appointments you've had. Since then, you've had appointments for school classes. You've had appointments maybe for college classes. You've had appointments for job interviews and then maybe appointments for your business. You've had appointments with doctors, with dentists, with, with uh, lawyers, with other folks. And some of those appointments you look forward to. Others you'd rather cancel or postpone indefinitely so you don't have to go to them. But according to our scripture passage tonight, the Bible tells us that God has set for us 
two divine appointments. God has placed two appointments before each one of us. We cannot postpone, we cannot cancel, we cannot avoid, and for which each one of us must be prepared. What are the two divine appointments? Notice our text in Hebrews 9, verse 27. It says, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. What is the first divine appointment that we have to face? The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. We all have an appointment with death. The Word of God tells us why uh, that, that we have to face that death. Not only our text, Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, but the Bible also tells us in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5, the living know that they shall die. The Bible says in Genesis 3, 19, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. I heard about a little girl who rushed in her mother's kitchen on a Monday morning. She said, Mommy, 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 did you hear what Pastor preached about in church yesterday? Her mother said, well, he preached a lot of things in church yesterday. He said, well, Mommy, did you hear the pastor Pastor say that people came from dust and we're going to go back to dust. She said, well, Mom said, well, yeah, I heard him say that, but why are you all excited about that? She said, Mommy, quick, come in my bedroom and look under my bed. Somebody's either coming or going under there. I hope it's not that dusty on your bed back home, but the Bible tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and when he did so, God made man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Why do we have to face death? And the Bible says, dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. Well, we can thank our human parents, Adam and Eve, for that fact, because they violated God's commands. Remember, God created a beautiful garden, and he called the garden what? Eden. And then God made the first man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, and God called the first man what? Adam. And then Adam had no mate, so God put Adam into a deep sleep and took one of his ribs. That's why women have been good at taking ribbing ever since. <laughs> and made a woman out of the rib, and they called the woman's name what? Eve. Anyone know why God did not make Eve first? My father said it's because God did not want anyone telling him how to make Adam. <laughs> so tall and this, no. Uh, if you don't like that answer, ladies, you can say, well, you know, actually what happened, preacher, was God made man, took a look and said, I can do better than that. And I made a woman. So whichever one of those you want, you can pick whichever. Just remember, she was created from a spare part from a fellow. But the Bible tells us God placed the two of them in the garden home that he made for them and gave them dominion over all that he had made. He only gave them one small prohibition. He said, you may eat of all the fruit trees of your garden home, but one, you may not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that stands in the midst of the garden, because if you do, then you will surely die. Now, why did God tell them that? Was he trying to spoil their fun? No. Was he trying to get them to sin out of curiosity? No. Don't touch that tree. Okay, I will. No. God gave mankind a simple test that man failed miserably. For Satan, God's adversary, came into the garden in the form of a serpent and tempted Adam and Eve and said, why don't you eat of that tree? It's, it's, it's delicious. It'll make you wise. And Eve believed the lie of Satan and she took of the fruit and she ate of it and she gave some to her husband Adam with her and he also did eat. She was deceived. He was not deceived. And so Romans 5 and verse 12 tells tells us, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so the Bible tells us not only did our human parents Adam and Eve sin, but you and I were born in sin, and you and I have also chosen, just like Adam and Eve, to disobey God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 tells us of that, that, that story of Adam and Eve, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon 
all men, for that all have sinned. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18.4, God, the righteous, just, and holy judge of all the universe, says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And there's not a one of us who has not sinned. There's not a one of us who can even look at the first one of the Ten Commandments and say we've kept that one. Some people want to protest. They say, wait a minute, Brother Webb, I've always believed in God. He's always been God to me. But I would ask how many of us have done something we knew God said we should not do. That would be all of us. Amen. And how many of us have ever not done something we knew God said we ought to be doing? Again, that would be every one of us. Do you realize that every time we know what God wants us to do and we choose our will and our way over God's will and his way, that we have just made ourselves the God of our lives and we have broken the first commandment. We can't even get past number one, never mind the other nine. And even if you wanted to try to keep track with the others, James chapter one says, he that keepeth the whole law and yet offendeth in one point is guilty of all. Throw the scorecard away. If we violated one, we've broken them all. The word of God tells us. And so the scripture tells us that God's decree is that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. I think I told folks when we were at the camp that I had patriotic parents when I was growing up. If I disobeyed them, they laid the stripes and I saw the stars. Well, the fact is that God gives us the punishment of death. It begins with a physical death, continues with time in hell, as we mentioned this morning, ends up at a great white throne judgment we're going to look at in a bit, and then ends up in a lake of fire being burning for all of eternity, but yet never being consumed. And so the Bible tells us that's why we all have to die. Now, according to the, to the Word of God also, there are only two ways a person can die. You can die in Christ, and you can die out of Christ. What's the difference? What happens with people who die in Christ? Well, the Word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, that for the believer, we are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Bible gives us that assurance that when a believer leaves this life, even though their body is buried in the grave, their soul goes immediately to be with the Lord. I'm looking forward to seeing my granddad when I get to heaven. I didn't get to know my grandfather very well, my father's father. He passed away when I was a young boy. He was a railroad worker for the Lackawanna Railroad in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And one day there was a terrible accident that occurred in the railroad yard there. And uh, he, he had, he had uh, presence of mind to save another man's life in the midst of that accident. But in so doing, he was severely shocked with electrical current. It damaged his own heart. They took him to the hospital. They worked on him the best they could. But they finally came to my grandmother and said, your husband slipped into a coma. It's just a matter of time. There's nothing else we can do for him. He's going to pass. And so my grandmother sat by granddad's bed day after day, hoping that just one more time he would come out of that coma so that she could see him alert and awake before he went to be with the Lord Jesus. She knew that as a young man he had realized he was a sinner and deserved death and hell, but that Jesus Christ, God's Son, had paid the price of his sin debt on the cross of Calvary. And he had repented and turned from his sin, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, called upon him and accepted his gift of eternal life, and knew that if he were to pass, he would be on his way to heaven. In fact, by the time he passed away, he was the men's Sunday school teacher at the Bible preaching church that they attended. One afternoon his grandma 
mom sat by the bed, a movement on the bed caught her attention. She looked over and she said, Granddad's eyes were open once more. He had come out of the coma finally. She watched him as he proceeded to sit straight up in the bed. And the first thing he did was to look as though we were looking straight through the ceiling of the room, right into heaven itself. She said a smile crossed his face from ear to ear, bigger than anything she'd ever seen on his face in his lifetime. With that smile on his face, he then looked down at Grandmom, pulled his arm loose from the tubes and wires he'd been attached to, pointed and shook his finger toward heaven just like this while he smiled at her. And then his eyes went shut and his arm went back to his side. He laid quietly back in the bed and he was gone. The Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. You know, I was reading a book uh, that I got off a pastor's bookshelf in his office in East Delavan, Wisconsin a number of years ago. It was a little paperback book I'd seen on a couple of other pastor's shelves. It was entitled Voices from the Edge of Eternity. Nothing but one after the other eyewitness accounts of the deaths of various people. Some rich, some poor, some educated, some uneducated, some famous, some unknown, some believers, and some unbelievers. And there was one thing that stood out to me above everything else as I read that book. There was a tremendous difference between the deaths of those who died in Christ and those who died out of Christ. Those who died in Christ so often pass without uh, any kind of anguish of body or soul or spirit, talking about the things of the Lord, sometimes seeing Christ or sometimes hearing the songs of heaven or, or seeing other loved ones that had already passed on before them and uh, that th that's the way they pass while those who died without Christ died far differently than that as we'll describe in just a few moments you know I, the only person I've ever seen leave this world myself was my own father as I mentioned, my dad preached the gospel for 67 years, even up till the day he passed away, he was still witnessing to the nurses in the hospital where he was. And uh, grand, uh, my, my, my father had, uh, had been in the hospital for one issue, and while he was there, he had a heart attack, a second heart attack from one he'd already had before, and his heart ejection fraction went all the way down to 15 or something like that, and the doctors uh, came and, and they'd put a pacemaker in and they did everything they could to try to whip his body and that heart to be able to function enough to be able to keep him alive that way but they finally came to my sister and said there's nothing she worked in the in the hospital administration they said there's nothing we can do for your father that is going to cause him severe suffering and pain why don't you just let him have the rest of his time in peace we discussed the situation with dad and with mom and everybody else that way and agreed. And so they, they turned off the drugs they were pumping through his veins and they shut off the pacemaker. They even turned off the telemetry on, the, on, the, on his uh, system there in the hospital. And, and uh, they said what will happen is his heart will go into a faster rhythm eventually that it won't be able to sustain and he will pass shortly thereafter. That night we all gathered together in dad's room expecting him to go to be with the Lord that night. We were all curled up in little chairs and things here and there in the room because we wanted to be there when dad went and, and, uh, and he went to sleep before the rest of us did and the rest of us curled up in any way we could for some fitful sleep. He awoke before the rest of us in the morning and he said he felt so good he thought God had healed him and was going to give him another good 10 years of ministry. <laughs> They explained to him, the doctors did, the reason why he felt so good is because they weren't pumping all the drugs through him anymore, and they weren't zapping him with a pacemaker anymore and all the rest of that. And so we had a good day of fellowship. My brother-in-law and my sister went back to work uh, that day, and my mother and I stayed in fellowship with my dad that day. And when it got to the end of the workday, my sister came back after she got off of work, and I said to her, you need to take mom home. She needs some rest. You guys didn't sleep at all last night when you were here in the room, and uh, you, need, you really need to get some rest. You're only 40 minutes from the hospital. If anything happens, we can call you. You can be here pretty quickly. And my sister agreed took mom home so dad and I stayed in the room together fellowshiped up until the evening he was a six o'clock news person and when it got to be six o'clock I said dad you want me to turn on the news he said no don't bother I'm not interested in what's going on here anymore <laughs> 
About 7.30 he fell asleep and I sat in the corner of the room and worked on my laptop till about 11.30 or midnight and I shut it down and then pulled out the little expanding chair thing they had there for one person to be able to stay in the room with somebody in ICU and I went to sleep that night. It was about 3.40 in the morning I was awakened by an alarm going off and a red light flashing on my father's monitor. I scrambled out of the bed as the nurse was just coming into the room and I said, what's going on? She said, his heart's gone into a faster rhythm. It's not going to be but a matter of time now before he passes and my dad was awakened by the movement in the room and he asked what was going on. Nurse was a believer. She said, well, Dr. Webb, I believe you're going to get to go to be with Jesus tonight. She said, what's your favorite hymn? He said, the old rugged cross. She said, can you sing that? Dad had a wonderful singing voice even up until he passed away. And so he asked if I would sing with him. So we sang it as a duet, all the verses. And then we sang a couple of other songs that talked about heaven that we had sung in meetings together like that as well. And then he got too tired to sing and asked me if I'd continue. I sang another song or two. And then we just started to talk. And we started to talk about heaven. Hey, Dad, what's it going to be like when you get to heaven? You suppose after preaching the gospel for 67 years, any of those people who got saved under your meetings are going to want to be at the gate of heaven and meet that ornery evangelist that was preaching the day or the night they got saved. Suppose they're going to want to see you when you get there. And dad, what, what, what about the rewards that God's word talks about? What about the crowns? What are they going to be like? And the other rewards that the Bible talks about, what's that going to be like? But dad, most of all, what's it going to be like to see the Lord Jesus tonight? My sister and my mother arrived. They took up their place on one side of the bed holding one of dad's hands and I was holding his other hand on the other side of the bed. He was in no anguish of body or soul or spirit. He was a little warm because his heart was racing like it was. But dad and mom continued their marriage-long argument about who loved who the most. And I said, Dad, you know there's somebody that loves you more than mom or any of us does. And he looked at me and smiled and he said, Yes, son, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, who died for me. And just a few minutes later, he looked at all of us and he said, I'm going now. Closed his eyes, laid down his sword and shield as a soldier of the cross and went to meet the commander. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. I would ask you right now in this auditorium tonight, what if it was your heart that quit beating right now? What if it was your lungs that quit breathing this moment? What if it were your eyes that went shut for the last time in this world right now tonight? Are you certain that like Paul said, like my grandfather and my father experienced, that you would be absent from the body and present with the Lord? Only those who, know, who are in Christ and die in Christ can know that certainty of being with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who die in Christ can know that for sure. But what about those who die out of Christ? That's the only other way that you can die. The death of those who die out of Christ is far different according to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not a parable. It's a true story. Jesus never used names in his parables. But it says it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried away into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And what happened? In hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I've met many people before and been witnessing to them and said, Hey, preacher, I believe in the Bible and I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in hell. Well, then you don't believe in the Bible or Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said more in the Bible about hell than anybody else in the Bible did. In fact, Jesus said more in the Bible about hell than he even did about heaven because he didn't want anybody to go there. In fact, the Bible tells us that not only was that man in hell, but he was in torments. And there are people that say, well, if you're in hell, it's just darkness. There's no torment there. There's no flame and there's fire. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said, Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And the Bible says, and beside all this, uh, he was told by Abraham, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Some 
people say, well, preacher, if I'm going to hell, so are all my friends, and we'll have a big old time down there like just we do up here as well. Well, wait a minute. To begin with, what was said there to this man when he was in hell shoots some religious ideas that once you enter hell, somebody can light candles for you, pray prayers for you, get baptized for you, or do good works in your name, and somehow get you out of that place called hell. According to the Word of God, according to Jesus himself, once a person enters hell, there's no escape, no reprieve, no parole, no hope, no second chance, no second choice, no coming back and trying it all over again. Once a person dies, the lot has been cast, the choice has been made. And not only can you not leave, but no one else can ever come to you where you are. In fact, I, I like to tell folks, look, you know, I, I don't, if you could go to, if you know somebody that's in hell tonight and you could go there, I can tell you they don't want anybody else they know to join them there. How do I know that? Because that rich man then said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send into my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Here was this man in hell himself burning, and what he wanted was somebody to go back from the dead to warn his five brothers so they wouldn't end up there along with him. And he was told, I'm sorry, they have Moses and the prophets. Abraham saith unto them, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, or the word of God, if you will, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. He said, I'm sorry, uh, but there's nobody coming back from the dead would even cause somebody this living to make that decision to uh, to uh, reject coming to this place in, in this time as a matter of fact there's some people that have said well like I said you know if I'm going to hell my friends will be there and we'll have a good old time down there like we do up here no I'm sorry I don't believe you will in fact twice in the same chapter Matthew chapter 13 verse 42 and verse 50 it says and then shall cast them into a furnace of fire there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth you realize the only thing that those who are in hell will give them notice that there is anybody else there with them is to hear the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and folks gnawing their tongues for pain and fear. It is a place that you do not want to be. It is a genuine place that Jesus spoke of in the Word of God. My pastor and I were down the road from our church one night knocking on doors and talking to people about Christ. We often visit together when I'm at home. And uh, we came to the home of a man who was an over-the-road truck driver. We were sharing the gospel with him, and we got to what Jesus said about hell. And right then, the man stopped us, and he said, Look, fellas, I appreciate you coming by to talk with me tonight, but he said, I don't believe in hell. Now, we didn't argue with a man. Sometimes you can win an argument and lose a soul. So we just showed him a couple of verses about what Jesus said about hell and asked if we could have a word of prayer for him before we left. And he said, fine. So we prayed for the man. We excused ourselves. It was too late to visit anybody else that night as we made our way back to the church. But my pastor was strangely silent. He and I are best friends. When we get together, we like to talk. For 10 minutes, he didn't say a word. And I finally said to him, preacher, why are you so quiet tonight? He said, Brother Barry, don't let anybody ever tell you there's no hell. I said, what do you mean? For the next several minutes, he shared with me that he was one of five men drafted out of that little village in Western Maryland during the Vietnam War crisis into the army. He was the only one out of all five who ended up actually being sent or posted to Vietnam. At that point in his life, he was, he was being called by God to preach and he was running from God's call. He told the Lord when he got on the aircraft, the transport to go to Vietnam, Lord, if you'll bring me back alive, I'll go and I'll preach. When he got there, although he had never had any training as a preacher, just what he learned in Sunday school class and in the 
church services that he was attending at home, he, he began to witness to everybody he could. He witnessed to and led to the Lord some of the Vietnamese people who worked in their army camp. He witnessed to some of the other soldiers that were stationed with him. He even witnessed to some of the officers who were over them. And there was another fellow he got to be good friends with that was in his company as well that uh, had a lot of the same interests as he did of hunting and fishing and camping and the outdoors and the woods and that kind of thing. And he had talked to this man before, but they were on their way back from the rest and relaxation time to the front lines of the battlefield once more. And he was riding along in the Jeep. Pastor was again witnessing to this fellow about the gospel of Christ. And this fellow stopped him right in the middle of his witness and said, listen, preacher, I know there's a heaven, I know there's a hell, and I know there's a Jesus who died for sinners, and I know I need to get saved. He said, I promise you, one day I will. Just don't bug me anymore about it now, will you? That was Monday. On Thursday, the very same week, they were shoulder to shoulder on patrol together in the jungle when that man was shot by an enemy sniper. He cried out and he fell to the ground. And pastor said after they took care of the sniper, it took six of the strongest men in that patrol to hold that man still enough on the ground so that the medic could administer morphine. And when the morphine should have taken from that man's mind any thought of the pain he was experiencing, every man commented afterward that it seemed like the drug had no effect whatsoever. He knew exactly who was standing around him and he began to plead with them by name one at a time. Bill, you have to save me. I'm dying. I'm going to hell. Joe, I can hear the screams of the damned. Dim. I can feel the fire begin to burn me. I see the demons coming to take me. And he screamed those words as he passed from this world with six men holding him to the ground. And pastor said, Brother Barry, don't let anybody tell you there's no hell. I've seen somebody slip into it. And it's not a pretty sight. Now I'm not trying to frighten anybody here tonight at all, but I want you to understand something. There is a genuine place called hell. Jesus spoke about it in the Word of God as well. It is a true existing place. And according to the Word of God, anyone who dies out of Christ will not be as the believer absent from the body and present with the Lord, but according to the Scriptures, absent from the body and present in hell. I would ask every one of you again, what if it was your heart that quit beating right now, your lungs that quit breathing right now, your eyes that went shut in this life right now? Are you absolutely certain that if your heart quit beating, your lungs quit breathing, your eyes went shut, you would be absent from the body and present with the Lord? Or would you be absent from the body and present in hell? The Bible says the first divine appointment that we have is an appointment with death. Some people say, well, I'll make that choice one day, Brother Webb. I promise I'll, I'll do that. You know, when you're a young person, sometimes you have the idea that it's only old arthritic gray-haired people who die, right? But that's not true, is it? Young people die every day. Last year, there was a nine-year-old boy playing soccer with his community soccer league in New England. It fell over on the field and died in front of everybody. Last time my wife and I flew to the Fiji Islands, we were sitting in the airport in San Francisco and one of the news articles on the TV was of two young men who were high school students who were co-captains of the very same sports team who died within 48 hours of each other. Natural causes. There was one young man who was the point guard for his high school basketball team. They were in the championship game. The score was tied. He was bringing the ball down two seconds on the clock. As the last seconds ticked off from half court, he threw up the buzzer beater shot that went in. And he won the ball game for the team. They lifted him up on their shoulders. They carried him around. Then they yelled him, cut down the net, you know, from the net that he shot through the last shot. And when the trophy was brought out, they handed it up to him. And he held it high as they ran around the court with him on their shoulders again cheering for having won the championship and when things started to die down and the crowd began to recede they let him down on the floor he handed the trophy to someone else walked three steps fell over on the ground in front of them all and died an athlete 
supposedly in good health. It's not old, gray-haired, arthritic people who only die. Young people die every day. And there are people who say, well, I, I promise, Brother Webb, I'll, I'll make that decision tomorrow. I'll get saved tomorrow. You know, the Bible never says that you can be saved tomorrow. There's not a single verse in your Bible that says that you can be saved tomorrow. It says, rather, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek you the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not when a day may bring forth. James 4, verse 14 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. And then our 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. If you're seated here tonight, boy or girl, teenager, man or woman, and you're not certain that if you died, you'd be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg of you, don't leave this place tonight without settling that for good with God. The first divine appointment is an appointment with death, but there's a second divine appointment I would ask you, are you ready for? And if we go back to our text again, are you ready for that appointment? For the first divine appointment, are you ready for the appointment of death? Some people say, well, I believe so. Let me say, don't be too rash or too quick to say you're ready for the first appointment of death because I don't believe you're really ready for the first divine appointment unless you're also ready for the second one. What's the second divine appointment? The Bible text tells us tonight, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, what? The judgment. The judgment. Not only do we all have an appointment with death, but secondly, we all have an appointment at the judgment. The second divine appointment is an appointment at the judgment. Some people are confused about the judgments. They think there's going to be one massive judgment in which sinners and saints and Satan and everybody's going to stand before the throne of God. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that Satan and his minions are going to be judged separately from humankind and cast into the lake of fire. Then there will be two separate judgments for mankind. One for believers, known as the Bema Seat Judgment or the, uh, or the Judgment Seat of Christ, and the other called the Great White Throne Judgment, the Judgment for Unbelievers. What is going to take place at those two separate judgments? Let's look first at the Judgment of Believers. What I want to do tonight is look at one passage of Scripture for each of those judgments, read it, summarize it for you, and we're going to dismiss our service tonight a moment after that. What's the Judgment of Believers going to be like? There are a number of Scriptures that talk about it, but probably one of the most detailed is found for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and, uh, and we're going to turn there, if you would, with me for just a moment in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading there. The Bible says in verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. What does all that mean? Very simply, from the time that you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have to realize to begin with, He's the only foundation for faith. 
Again, verse 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. It's not our baptism. It's not our church membership. It's not our good works. It isn't Jesus plus any of the above. It is Jesus Christ and Him alone. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The word of God is very clear. Christ alone. He said in John chapter 10 verse 1, He that cometh not in by the door of the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, and not a sheep. He said, so you say, well, what's the door? No, wrong question. Who's the door? In verse 9, he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. So our foundation for our faith is Jesus Christ. Anything else can't save you. But since that time, as the Bible tells us in that passage there, since that time of your salvation, you've been building on that foundation of faith. And when we're building on that foundation of faith, we're building with four things. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stumble. You say there are more things listed there than four. But those things represent the four things which we have all been building. What are those four things which we all build? Time, talents, treasures, and toil. Every single day you and I live, we expend, we invest those four things. Nobody has any more hours, minutes, or seconds in a day than anybody else does. But some people seem to be able to use theirs better for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us we've all been given talents. We talked about that this morning in the message and how we ought to be plugged into the local church, allowing Christ to use our talents for the glory of the Lord. Some people are faithful in doing so. Other people are busy making money and building their own kingdom on this earth with the talents that God gave them, but not allowing the Lord to have control of those talents. What are you doing with your talents tonight? Treasures, that means your money, your possessions, the things that you have in this world that God has allowed you to amass to together. What are you doing with them? We preached about that the other night at camp about how God wants us to be faithful and put him first in our, in our finances. When it comes to our, our giving to the Lord, we ought to be tithing uh, 10% of everything we make to gross to the Lord. We ought to be giving above and beyond the tithe as God has prospered us. We ought to be faithful in investing that money and those possessions for missions and for the work of the local church and not wasting so much of it in the accessories for our pickup trucks and the bigger screen television set for a house or the $50 fingernail job or something else that way. The fact of the matter is we are investing our treasures, that which we have, either in that which is temporal, the here and now, or eternal, the forever. And then toil, your sweat, your energy, your labor that you do every day from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. Are you focused in that labor on the things that will last forever or are you focused on the things of this world? There's a reason why the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. Matthew 6, 33 said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The Word of God tells us in Colossians 3, verse 3, Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. What is your focus on, believer? 
Where is your investment of time and talents and treasures and toil going day after day? Is it for the here and now, the visible of this world, or is it for that which lasts forever? You know, I heard once about a famous preacher who was invited to a famous millionaire's mansion for a dinner. And when he arrived at the property, even after he passed through the wrought iron bar or whatever ranch sign out next to the main road, it was some time before he finally reached the actual mansion. When he arrived there, a valet parked his car for him, and a butler escorted him into a beautifully appointed banquet hall for a dinner with this millionaire. And after they'd had a sumptuous meal and had the coffee and dessert and had rested a little bit, the millionaire said, come out back to a rise in the property. There's something I'd like to show to you. So the preacher followed him out back. They went to the top of the rise, and the said, look from here to the north, from here to the horizon, everything you can see in that direction belongs to me. He said, look to the south, everything you can see from here to the horizon in that direction belongs to me. He said, look to the east, look to the west. He said, as a matter of fact, from where we are on my property right now, everything you can see in every direction from here to the horizon belongs to me. What do you think about that? And the preacher said, well, sir, as far as the world's goods are concerned, that's pretty impressive. But may I ask you a question? The millionaire said, what's that? And the preacher said, how much do you own in that direction? Well, let me ask you, how much do you own in that direction? Hmm? May I ask you, when you get to heaven, will there be anybody that will walk up to you there and say, thank you so much for, for sharing that gospel tract with me at work? If you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been saved. Thank you so much for giving your offering, giving your money instead of buying another accessory for your car or for, your, for your, another Game Boy for your kid. Thank you for putting in the missionary offering. Because of that, a missionary came halfway around the world and preached in our village. And a bunch of us from our village are here in heaven. And we wouldn't be here if you hadn't been faithful to do what God wanted you to do with what belongs to Him. There's a song in our hymn book that says, Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? I ask you seriously tonight, if you appeared in heaven this evening, would there be anybody there that would thank you for having witnessed to them, for having given them the gospel tract, for having shared the gospel with them, or given finances into the mission work of the church so that somebody could reach them with the message of the gospel? You see, we have to invest here for that treasure there. You see, you can't take, how, how much money can you take with you out of this world? How much? None. How many, how many jewels? None. How many diamonds and rubies and all of that? None. How, how, how many bank accounts can you take with you? How, how, many, how many fancy clothes can you take with you out of this world? How many houses? How many businesses? How many of any of that stuff can you take? None of it. You're going to leave all of that behind to somebody you didn't want to have it who's probably going to spend it in a way you didn't intend for it to be spent. That's why an old preacher I heard said one time, it's better to be given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Hmm? Seriously, what, 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 what are you, what are you, is there, is there anything in heaven that's going to be there awaiting you? Never mind the fact that the Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things God has prepared for them that love him. Look, the, the, the Bible tells us at the judge, a judgment of believers we've just read about in this passage of scripture, you're going to find three things. First of all, there's going to be the revelation of the fire. What does it say? It said, um, every man's works shall be manifest for it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Think about this. If what you're living for is the here and now, money, possessions, houses, buildings, lands, not only are you going to leave it all behind when you leave this world, but the Bible says it's all going to be burned up. 
God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth is going to be vaporized. The Bible says God's going to roll it up and change it like a garment. And everything you lived for, if you, what you live for is here, what you live for is now, the possessions, the popularity, and all of that stuff, all that you live for now will be left behind, and all that will be destroyed. It's all going to be burned up. It's going to be tried by the fire. There's going to be the revelation of the fire. The Bible says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Not only are you going to see the revelation of the fire, but then the Bible says there's going to be the reward of the faithful. If any man work, uh, man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive what? A reward. Why was it that Moses was willing, according to Hebrews chapter 11, to choose affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? It was because he had respect unto the what? Recompense of the reward. He wasn't impressed with what Egypt had to offer. He knew what God had to offer was far greater. What about you? Do you understand that fact? Are you focused on the here and now or are you focused on the eternal? You can't take money with you out of this world. You can't take houses or lands or jewels or businesses, but you can take your family with you to heaven. You can take your neighbors with you to heaven. You can take your coworkers with you to heaven. You can take your ball teammates with you to heaven. Anybody you lead to Christ, you can take with you to heaven. Amen? That's living treasure you'll enjoy forever. There's going to be the reward of the faithful, but there's also going to be the recompense of the foolish. It says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, yet he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. What's that mean, Brother Webb? You know, it's like uh, just a few months ago when they had the big massive wildfire in Colorado. I've heard this from ones they've had in California as well. But there was a man who was interviewed on the radio. I heard it with my own ears uh, where, where he said, it, it, the fire changed direction so fast and came through so quickly. I didn't have time to get anything out of my house I own. All I own is what I have on my back. I lost it all. Stop and think about this for a minute. Do you realize that if you're living for the things that are here and now, the possessions, the popularity, the pleasures, and all the things of the world here and now, the Bible says, there thou hast that is thine. And when that is all burned up, what are you going to have to show when you get to heaven? Do you realize what that passage says? Is there are going to be some believers who because they are believers, when they die, or if Jesus comes, they will be going to heaven, but realize that while they will be there, they will have nothing to show for the entire life God gave them on this world. Saved yet so as by fire. Like the fellow that said, I lost it all. It's gone. All I have are the clothes on my back. And there are going to be some believers that are going to be in heaven, but they're going to have nothing to show for the life that God gave them on this planet. What about you? What about you, believer? What will that judgment be like for you? Will it be the recompense of the foolish or the reward of the faithful for you? Remember the second Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 that says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things that God has prepared for them to love him. Do you realize what that verse says? That human language is completely inadequate to even begin to describe the treasures that God has for those who faithfully serve him. What have you got in that direction? What have you got in that direction? 
That's the judgment of believers. What about the judgment of unbelievers? What's the judgment for those that are not saved going to be like? We're going to look at that one time. If you go to Revelation chapter 20, would you please turn with me there as we look at what the Scripture says about that judgment. Revelation chapter 20, beginning verse 11. We're going to again read that passage, sum it up quickly, and we're going to close tonight. Revelation chapter 20. If you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, understand that what we're about to read is what you will one day face. Because when you die, they're going to bury your body in the grave, but your soul's going to go to hell until the day of this specific judgment when God is going to once again bring your body reconstructed out of the grave, reconnect it to your soul which has been in hell, and you will stand physically and wholly in the presence of Jesus Christ at the judgment of the great white throne. What does it say? And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works, and the sea gave of the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered of the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What does the Bible tell us about that judgment? At the judgment of believers, everyone is going to face what we talked about before. The revelation of the fire, the reward of the faithful, the recompense of the foolish, but unbelievers are going to face something different. First of all, they're going to face the law of God. The law of God. The Bible says the books were opened. One of those is going to be the Word of God and specifically the law of God. Why do you think, why do you think that the American Civil Liberties Union from, uh, and the Wisconsin Freedom from Religion Organization have been so desperate over the years to try to get the Ten Commandments out of our classrooms, our courtrooms, and our civic buildings? It doesn't take much thought at all. If you admit that there's an absolute law of right and wrong, you must of necessity also admit there's an absolute authority, God who gave it, before whom man must one day absolutely give an account of himself. And they don't want to think about that. They think if I can get rid of Christianity, if I can get rid of the Bible out of society, if I can marginalize believers, I can live in my wickedness and my sin and there'll be no, count, uh, no consequences. No, I'm sorry. They're going to face those very same Ten Commandments they're trying to get rid of. How do I, why do I believe that? Because in any fair society in this world, even today, you don't bring someone to trial without citing the law that was violated. And so they're going to face those commandments. We know that because also Romans chapter 3 verse 20 tells us by the law is the knowledge of sin. And 1 John 3 verse 4 says sin is the transgression of the law. You're bringing brought, being brought before the judgment bar of Jesus Christ. You're going to face the law that you violated, the law of God. Secondly, the Bible not only tells us the books were open for that reason, but you're also going to face the list of every sin you've ever committed in your life. The Bible says, again, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Do you realize from the time you were born into this world to the time you die, if you die out of Christ, God has kept a running, accurate record of every single sin you've ever committed in your lifetime. Every wicked thought, every lust of the heart, whether nighttime, daytime, with or without anyone else involved, all sin, no matter who else it's against, is against God. And God keeps a running accurate record. Somebody said, wait a minute, how much space does that take up for every person that's ever lived? I'm sorry, is God limited by space? Somebody said, are you kidding? Every person one at a time? How long is that going to take? I'm sorry, is God limited by time? No, his word says one day is a thousand years in his sight and a thousand years is one day. And there are going to be a lot of people who are going to stand before the throne of Jesus Christ and they're going to say, I don't deserve to be here. I wasn't that bad of a person. But they're going to face that entire list. Even the goodest two-shoes who ever lived on this planet is going to be shocked at how long the list of their sins really is. 
Hey, aren't you glad if you're a believer tonight? There's no list like that for you and me. Our sins have been forgiven and washed away, never to be remembered against us again. But that's not the case for those who die out of Christ. Those who die out of Christ are going to face the list of every sin they've ever committed. Thirdly, they're going to face the Lamb's Book of Life, or listed there for the space of time on the screen, the Book of Life. It tells us, again, in this passage of Scripture, and another book was opened, which is the Book of Life. What's that book? It's elsewhere described in Scripture as the Lamb's Book of Life. It's that book in which it's written the name of every truly born-again child of God. Any person who ever turned from their sin, trusted this finished work of Christ, and took His gift of eternal life, their name is inscribed in that book. If you're saved tonight, your name is there. Somebody said, well, wait a minute, Brother Webb. This is the judgment for unbelievers, right? Right. Nobody at that judgment is going to have their name in that book. Correct. Then why is it there as a witness against them? You remember the passage the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in Matthew chapter 7? Not everyone that saith unto me, speaking about the same judgment, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many will come in that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Okay, now wait a minute before we look at the next verse. What does it say? Lots of people, not just a few. Many, many are going to stand before the Lord at that great white throne judgment. They're going to say, wait a minute, I don't deserve to be here. I, I preached in your name. That's a preacher. And I cast out devils. That's a miracle. And the majority are going to say, and in your name I did many wonderful what? Works. That's what most man-made religions will try to tell people is the only way you can have any hope of being able to get to heaven. Do the best you can. Help your fellow man. Go on a pilgrimage. Confess to the priest. Keep the sacraments. You know, pray so many times a day and in a certain direction. Look, no, the Bible says there are going to be all these people that are going to stand there before him and say, I did all of these works but what is he going to say in Matthew 7 verse 23 and then will I profess unto them I never knew you I'm sorry your name isn't here perhaps there'll be an empty space an awful empty space where their name could have been and is not I'm sorry, I know you not. After facing the law of God they violated, the list of sins they've ever committed, and the land's book of life where their name is not found, the final thing that everyone at that judgment will face is the lake of fire. The lake of fire. Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I mentioned already tonight that when I was in college, I worked as a baker in a bakery. No matter how careful you try to be, one of the occupational hazards of being a baker is that you're going to burn yourself sometime or other. I burned myself a number of times when I worked as a baker. I'm sure here, everybody here has probably maybe burned yourself sometime or other. Maybe for you ladies, it was a spatter of grease from the stove or a piece of your curling iron. Ow! Or maybe for some of you fellas, it was an over-hot automobile part or something that you didn't think about picking up too quickly after you took it off the engine or whatever it was. Can you remember how that some of those burns hurt even days after you let go of them? Can you even begin to imagine what it would be like to be in a literal lake of fire but never being able to let go of the searing torment? Look, I'll be the first to tell you if evangelist Bray Webb got exactly what he deserved, that's where I'd be. 
Why? Because like everyone else here, I was born a sinner. I prove it from the time that I was born. I have that same appointment with death facing me and the same appointment at a judgment. And if I were to die and get exactly what I deserved instead of what God by His grace was willing to give to me, I would be in that lake of fire. That's where we all would be headed. Somebody said to me, not the young man I mentioned this morning, but someone else, a lady said, you know what, I don't believe in a God that wants to send people to a place like that. I said, ma'am, we are already headed there. God is the only one who's done anything about it. My friend, you don't have to end up there. You can make the choice. Remember 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but of everlasting life. Romans 10, 9, 10 and verse 13, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But with thy heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession of man unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can make that commitment tonight, just as some did this morning who received Christ even there in their seat. You can make that choice tonight. You don't even have to be in church to do it. You can pray that prayer when you get home tonight for you pillow your head. But I would challenge you tonight, don't go to bed if you don't know, if your heart quit beating, your lungs quit breathing, and your eyes went shut, that you'd be absent from the body and present with the Lord because you might end up in a literal lake of fire for eternity and you will end up there lest you put that decision in your heart to trust Christ tonight. Are you ready for the two divine appointments? And as it is appointed unto men, once to die, and after this, the judgment. You might think again, well, preacher, I'll, I'll get around to it one of these days. I'll think about selling that matter. Look, none of us is guaranteed another breath, another heartbeat, another moment of life. My father was preaching in a church service once in a large church that had a big balcony in the back, kind of like this one does. And while he was preaching the message, three teenage boys, two older and a younger, came in the back in the lobby, went up the stairs to the balcony, came down to the front row and sat with their feet up on the rail, kind of half listening and half talking one to another. And while my father was preaching, he was praying, Lord, help those fellows to quit talking. Help them to listen so they'll hear the gospel. If they're not saved, they'll get saved. And when he got to the invitation that night, as he was inviting folks to come and be saved, he prayed and he said, Lord, would you send somebody to talk to those three fellows? And invite him to get saved. He didn't say it out loud. He prayed it in his heart silently. No sooner prayed those words, but here came a man from the church down from the back of the balcony with his Bible under his arm. He couldn't get in the row where the fellows were sitting, so he got in the row directly behind them. And he slid over behind them, and he came behind the first one of the older boys and leaned over and invited him to come and get saved. And the first fellow shook his head no. So he moved to the second, the youngest of the three, and he invited him to come and get saved. And that second fellow, the younger one, looked at the one older guy on one side and the other older buddy on the other side and just bowed his head. And the man moved to the third, evidently the ringleader of the three, because just as the last few notes of the invitation song were dying out, everybody could hear that third fellow as he stood up and turned around and said to that man, look, mister, leave us alone. We're young yet. We got plenty of time to get saved. Don't bug us now. As soon as the service ended that night, down the stairs they dashed out to the parking lot to their car, squealed their tires out of the parking lot, and down the road they went. 
It's about 15 minutes after the service was over, my father was down in front talking with somebody there were some other people still at the altar making decisions when there was a commotion in the lobby and the back doors of the auditorium burst open and that man my father had seen talk to those three boys came rushing in the back hollering my father's name, Brother Webb, Brother Webb! I said, please calm down, sir, I'm right here in the front. There's still some people praying quiet down. The man rushed down the aisle, Brother Webb! I hurried up there, grabbed my father by the coat lapels, began to shake him so hard he thought he'd tear him off. Brother Webb, my father said, please calm down, sir. What's the problem? He said, Brother Webb, did you see those three fellows up in the balcony tonight? He said, yes, I did. He said, did you see me go and invite him to come and get saved? He said, as a matter of fact, I just finished praying and asking God to send somebody. Thank you for letting God use you. He said, but Brother Webb, did you hear what that kid said? Did you hear him say they had plenty of time to get saved? My father said, yes. Why are you so excited? He said, well, Brother Webb, when they didn't get saved tonight, I went out and sat in my car and felt sorry for myself. After a while, he said, I realized that was ridiculous. God didn't call me to save anybody. That's his job. I invited him to be saved. What they did with the invitations up to them. So he said, I started my car up and decided to go home. He said, I got only two miles up the road here to the highway intersection. There was a red light going around. There'd been a head-on collision between two automobiles. Only one police officer, no medical assistance yet. I was an EMT, so I pulled my car off to the shoulder and got out and ran up to see if there's anything I could do to help. He said, Dr. Webb, when I got to that corner right there, stretched out on the ground, were those very same three boys. DOA, dead on arrival of the ambulance. And only 15 minutes before, 20 minutes before, they were so sure they had plenty of time to be saved. Again, I'm not trying to frighten or scare anyone here tonight, but I want you to understand what our Bible tells us tonight is something serious we need to think about. Every one of us has two divine appointments. It is appointed unto men once to die. Are you ready for that? And after this, the judgment. Are you ready for that? If not, then I encourage you, don't leave here tonight until you've settled that matter of your salvation or maybe your surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ if you're already a believer and not living for him. Are you ready for the two divine appointments? Let's bow together for a word of prayer tonight. I wonder this evening if I could ask how many folks here in this auditorium tonight can lift a hand where you are just to say, preacher, I'm ready for... Those appointments, I, I, I mean, I'm ready for death. I, I know for sure that there's already been some time in my life when I did repent and turn from my sin and believe on the Lord Jesus. And I asked him to save me. And if I died right here, right now, tonight, I'm absolutely certain that I'm on my way to heaven, not to hell. And I'm on my way to that judgment of believers, not the unbelievers judgment of the great white throne. How many can lift your hand as a testimony because you know that for certain tonight? Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord for that. I'm glad you can raise your hand this evening. May I ask a second question? I wonder... Is there someone here tonight that would say, Brother Webb, I can't say I know that for sure. I can't say I know that if my heart quit beating, my lungs quit breathing, my eyes went shut in this life for the last time right now, that I would be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But I'd like to be sure. I'd like to know it. Would you remember my hand in prayer tonight? I'm not asking you to join anybody's church or give a speech or get baptized. I'm simply asking, could I pray for you tonight? May I pray for you tonight? Is there anyone like that that would just slip your hand up where you are if you don't know if you were to die right now tonight? You would be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I'd love to pray for you. Anyone like that tonight? You just slip a hand up high enough for me to see it this evening. I'd be happy to pray for you if you let me do that tonight just by lifting a hand just where you are this evening. I'll know you want me to remember you in prayer. Is there one? Are there any? As I look out over the crowd, all right, yes, I see hands there. Again, I'm thankful for the fact that God's word says we can trust that when he says that we receive him, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he, he keeps us. For eternity saved, as Paul says as well. I like to tell folks, if I can't save me, then I can't keep me.
And if it's Jesus that has to save me, he's the one that has to keep me. And he does. He does. And we can trust him. Uh, is there anyone else like that tonight? Preacher, while you're praying for those that raised their hand, remember me as well. I really am not sure. If my, if my heart quit beating right now, my lungs quit breathing right now, I, I really don't know whether I'd be absent from the body, present with the Lord. I'd like to know. I'd like to be sure. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Anyone else like that tonight? All right, let me ask a third and final question. I wonder if there's a believer here tonight that would say, Brother Webb, I know if I died, I'd be in heaven, but I'm not really ready for death because I know the next thing's the judgment and I'm not really ready right now to stand before the Lord. Maybe I realize that my focus and my attention and my, my life has been on the things that are here and now rather than eternal, the, the, the temporal things of this world rather than that which is eternal and I need to rearrange my focus I need to change my priorities I need to allow the Lord to make some differences in my life so that he is in first place and not me and not the things of this world would you remember my hand today preacher God spoke to my heart as a believer I'm not really ready for that second divine appointment but I want to be ready here's my hand pray for me how many would lift a hand tonight yes God bless you and you and you and you and you and you and you yes the number of hands being raised tonight let's all stand together please for prayer this evening everyone standing if you will Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts tonight. Thank you for the simplicity of the word of God. And we thank you that we can know of these two divine appointments. But Lord, it's more important for us not just to know about them, but to be prepared for them. And so Lord, I pray tonight for my brothers and sisters in Christ who need to rearrange priorities, make changes in their lives, let you have control Lord, I pray that tonight they might make those decisions that will cause them to fix their attention on the things that will last for eternity. Lord, I pray that they might take many with them to glory, that they might be able to get friends and neighbors and loved ones to come to Christ so that they too can join us in heaven. Lord, I pray that, that those who are with us tonight and are not certain whether or not if they were to die tonight to be on their way to heaven would not leave here this evening without settling that matter with you, even as others did this morning. And we'll thank you and praise your name for that. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The pianist is just going to play a verse or two of an invitation song. And as we did this morning, I want to open an invitation to you. If you're with us today, and you're not really sure whether or not if you were to die, you'd be on your way to heaven, we would love to have somebody take the Bible and sit down with you momentarily and, and answer your questions and make sure that you know before you walk out of this building, you can be 100% certain you are on your way to heaven. You can be certain you have an eternity with Christ. Don't leave if you, if you want to settle that. Take time to just come and meet Pastor here at the front. He'll be happy to have someone pray with you, help you to settle that matter in your heart with the Lord. If God's Spirit has spoken to your heart, you're not sure, you don't know for certain you're on your way to heaven. Pastor is here. If you're a lady or a young lady, well, I have a lady pray with you. They'll take your Bible, sit down with you, show you the Scriptures, and help you to settle that. If you're a man or a young man, well, I have a man pray with you tonight. If you'd like to settle that, I challenge you, why don't you come this evening? As Pastor Wade. Secondly, if you already know Christ as your Savior and God's Spirit spoke to your heart tonight about things that need to be rearranged, things that need to be changed, the focus that needs to be different than it is now, then I challenge you to settle that with the Lord right now. Whether you come to the old-fashioned altar and talk to God here or whether you sit down in the row where you are and talk to Him there, I would challenge you tonight to make the decisions that need to be settled with the Lord tonight. We're not going to drag out a long invitation. I believe if you need business with God, you need to do business with God tonight. No better place than here, no better time than right now to settle matters with Christ. The song is that song that says, Must I go and empty handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty handed go? What would it be in your life? Will there be anybody in heaven? Because God had you to witness to them. 
God's Spirit speak to your heart. Now, perhaps there's someone here tonight, you say, Brother Webb, I don't know if I was to die with them out of here on my way to heaven, but I'm too nervous or I'm too embarrassed to step out of my seat and walk down an aisle in front of somebody else. There's not a verse in the Bible that says you have to walk an aisle in order to go to heaven or that you have to be in a church building when you receive Christ. If you understand that you're a sinner tonight and you really truly want to have that sin forgiven and understand that you have a home in heaven awaiting you and that Christ has saved you from your sin, then you can call on him tonight, right now, right where you are, right there in your seat. You say, Preacher, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say to God. I can understand that. I'd be happy to lead you in a simple prayer you could pray if you mean business with God, but I would challenge you. Please don't even think of praying, or praying the prayer unless you mean what you're saying or it's meaningless. If you don't mean business with God, he doesn't do business with you. You need tonight to be sincere. But if tonight you say, Preacher, I'm just too nervous, I'm too embarrassed, I'm too backward to walk down an aisle or maybe even raise a hand to ask you to pray for me, but I'd like to be sure I'm on my way to heaven. Why don't you just bow your head right now, right where you're standing, right there in your seat. And you can pray a simple prayer just like this tonight. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I am sorry for my sin. But I believe that Jesus died for me. And that he rose again. And that only he can save me. So right now, God, I turn from my sin. Please forgive me and change my life tonight. I take Jesus as my only Savior. Please give to me now your gift of eternal life. Save my soul tonight. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. And thank you for saving me as you promised you would. And now may I live for Jesus, for I ask it in his name. Now heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer tonight and you meant what you prayed, I can assure you God heard your prayer and he answered it tonight. He promised he would. In Romans 10 verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you called on him tonight and asked him for that salvation, he said, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He will answer. He has answered that prayer for you tonight. But two verses ahead of that, it also says, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. So I have one final question before pastor comes to close. Is there anyone here, man or woman, teenager, boy or girl, that would say, Brother Webb, when I came in here tonight, I did not know for sure if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. But when you prayed that prayer, you just prayed that prayer of salvation. I prayed that prayer with or after you right here in my seat. And Brother Webb, I'd just like you to know tonight, I did ask Jesus to save me. If you prayed that prayer tonight, would you let me rejoice with you in that just by slipping a hand up high enough for me to see it if you prayed that prayer? Yes, ma'am. Anyone else tonight? Yes, sir. Anyone else tonight? Preacher, I prayed that prayer tonight. I asked the Lord to save me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anybody else do that tonight? Now, let me challenge you. Let me encourage you that if you prayed that prayer, don't leave tonight without speaking to someone. You can talk with pastor. Uh, he'll be happy to speak with you. If you're a man or a young man, his wife can talk with you. If you're a lady or a young lady, or you can see my wife. She'll be back by the table out there tonight. You can speak to her. I'll be taking equipment down here tonight, getting chalk drawings ready for folks. So I won't be available to others here. Can talk with you. Uh, Brother Jim and uh, Van Gelderen and his wife, Mary, uh, Mary Beth, will be happy to talk with you as well. Or Mary Lynn, they'll be glad to talk with you tonight as well. 
there are other folks here I'm sure can help you too, you may know. So let me challenge you, don't leave here tonight without speaking to somebody, without making sure you've got things nailed down. Pastor can give you some literature, some help that will, uh, will help you get started in your faith in, in the Lord and in your walk with Him even tonight. Pastor, would you come?